The music of Simon Powell. Welcome to another episode of Out the Rabbit Hole here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We're also on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Robert Larson. This is our August 11th, 2011 edition of the show, 4.07 p.m. on the clock here in Irvine, California. Before we get fully underway, I have a couple of quick reminders for you. First of all, the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regents. And if you want to give me some feedback on the show, I always appreciate that. You can email me at rglarson at KUCI.org. You can also catch me on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash rglarson. One of the things we never tire of discussing on this program is the mystery at the heart of existence, consciousness. And because we're still not sure what consciousness is, and moreover because of the conundrum that consciousness study comes down to a thing trying to examine itself, we should certainly pay attention to anything that wildly perturbs consciousness. Our guest today is somebody who gets that, somebody who has spent many years looking down that fruitful avenue. In his new book, The Psilocybin Solution, The Role of Sacred Mushrooms and the Quest for Meaning, Simon Powell distills the history of magic mushrooms in a fresh manner and presents us with intriguing theories about what's really going on. Simon is a writer, musician, and filmmaker with an avid interest in the biosphere and psychoactive fungi. He joins us by phone today all the way from London. Simon Powell, welcome to the show. Cheers. Nice, nice to be here. It's great to have you. Your listeners should know it's midnight here. It's an outrageous <laughs> time to be speaking on the phone. But <laughs> well, I think it's a great time to be speaking about such subjects. Yeah. Well, I've, I've had some coffee, so... Okay, so mixing it up with a little different type of uh, psychoactive yeah. uh, substance yeah. I there. Might, I might be a bit jittery, but... Uh. Well, it sounds fine so far. And yeah, and that was your music we played uh, at the beginning there. Uh, you you want to tell us a little bit about that? Well, I just, I do, I do music, and I sent, I mean, I sent you that track. I was sort of half hoping you'd uh, play it, and you did play it, and, and thanks for playing it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I do a bit of music recording, and um, I, I'm, I like, I play guitar. I play a bit of keyboard and stuff as well, and um, I'm obsessed with guitar sound, and uh, I thought I got quite a good guitar sound on that track. So, And I, I released it re- recently as, a, as a, an MP3 on iTunes and all the on Amazon and that simply because it was a fairly straightforward thing to do and I'd never done it before I wasn't expect I probably won't it cost me uh, ten dollars I think to get it on uh, iTunes and I'm, I probably won't get my money back but uh, <laughs> it was just fun doing it and, and kind of having it up there you know but thanks for playing it it's great oh well you're welcome I liked it I, I really do like the guitar sound you have on there and we uh, talked a little bit about that, a little bit of that uh, spaghetti western feel. Spaghetti western sound, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that, uh, love that tone on the guitar there, really nice stuff, and uh, has kind of a, you know, a deserty feel to it, and uh, yeah. out in the local deserts here, people are known to uh, partake of the, uh, the sacred mushrooms that you have written about. So anyway, uh, tell us a little bit more about, about your background and how it led to writing this book. Oh, well, that, that's, a, that's a long story. <laughs> it's a two-hour show, yeah? <laughs> um, well, no, I, I graduated uh, back in 1992, and my, my dissertation in my last year was about, um, it was partly about 
the psychedelic experience and I sort of outlined in a sort of fairly clumsy way I think this notion that the psychedelic experience revealed the informational structure of consciousness I had this idea back then that uh, this this uh, mystery of consciousness I was convinced that consciousness was uh, information it was uh, consciousness was an informational phenomenon so I wrote this uh, dissertation which I got a thirst for and then I graduated and then um, this was 1992 and then um, I then discovered um, Terence McKenna and I've got the archaic revival by Terence McKenna I then found a bumper crop of psilocybin mushrooms in um, Richmond Park which is in a very beautiful park in London, and I for th- I for three months I had what I I now call uh, I call it my mushroom fever period. I spent three months um, I consumed lots of <laughs> psilocybin mushrooms. I mean, I'm a young man. I just graduated, and it was absolutely astonishing. I had um, you know not just one mystical experience. I had, I had lots and lots of mystical experiences and they 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 happened and they were real i had amazing visions and i realized then that i had to it i have thanks must go to mckenna for for kind of um putting a thumbs up really and saying that these experiences because there's not this is not a subject area that that many people get into it's a very controversial area i mean they're they're illegal for a start in most countries mm-hmm. um but there's something in there it's a very profound experience uh and i felt i had to pursue it and um so i decided i'd write a write a book and um yeah i mean the, this the psilocybin solution book that's just come out now it's been a long time coming it's been like 15 years um it's been rewritten lots of times i've reworked it lots of times i keep um went through a number of literary agents but i never kind of it was the, the experiences i had back in 92 they were so profound i i i was obliged to to pursue it really despite any kind of failures at getting the book published and um yeah. it's finally been published now so it's been a strange it's been a long strange journey yes well it, it does show that you you put a lot into this book and you talk about the several rewrites and and it's really full of a lot of information and you take a lot of these different threads of the history of um of the uh, psychoactive mushrooms and their their long history but then their more recent history of being sort of d- discovered by westerners and uh, just uh, great in that sense but great in, in putting out all of your different thoughts about what we're actually dealing with here and yeah, yeah it is obvious that you you uh, had some inspiration from Terence McKenna as many of us did and uh, as I mentioned to you he had uh, I had interviewed him on another radio show that I had done and yeah, uh, yeah he had person that really got a lot of people thinking if your mind was so inclined that way and when you talk about all of these mushroom experiences that you did there in the early 90s it it, it seems obvious to me this that this wasn't something that you were just doing for kicks or you know just no. just fun or just recreation not that th- those things can't be done but this was more something you were doing as as a seeker somebody who was trying to understand consciousness trying to get to the bottom of what this mystery really is 
Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, I mean, I'd been a seeker for, I'd, you know, I read lots of, before this, before the 1992 mushroom fever period, I'd uh, read lots, of, I'd studied Gurdjieff, I'd read Krishnamurti, so I'd, I, yeah, I'd, I'd class myself as a seeker for, for the truth, and it became, I think, anyone who pursues the mystery, uh, and once you get to the, you realise that, I mean, truth is something you have to experience, right? You can't give someone the truth. Truth has to be experienced. You need to have that. I mean, that's what I think Gnosticism means, a direct experience, a direct access, accessing of, uh, let's call it, higher knowledge. Um, anyone who, 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 who explores um, this area, they're, they're going to be led to psychoactives like psilocybin because uh, and when you... All things being well, if you have uh, a, a, a transcendental experience um, and you experience it, I felt like I was experiencing something sacred. Um, and not just once, but lots of times. And that's the only word I've, I've got for it, really. Um, yeah, that's the, you, you, you're, it, it takes you to the heart of the mystery, these substances. Mm-hmm. And um, I, get, I guess what helped me was because I'd studied psychology and I'd had a bit of, you know, scientific training, as it were, um, I, I realised there's something very important going on, um, not not just for personal knowledge, but for kind of for, for scientific knowledge as well. Right, in, in our understanding so of how, how the mind works, which is like we've still got a long way to go. Yes. <laughs> and uh, do, you, do you remember, uh, Simon, uh, a, a specific... Uh, initial experience with the, the mushroom where where you knew beyond any doubt that you were dealing with something profound something that no amount of formal schooling could have prepared you for what one experience you could maybe relate to us that just well, so shattered conventional thinking for you well no there's two i'm reminded of two going back to i should just say that the the mushroom fever period of 92 that was um followed about five years later i started going trekking i'm a i'm a big fan of trekking i love being out in wilderness and in the from the mid mid late the mid 90s onwards till now i um trek every year out in the lake district and snowdonia the most beautiful wilderness areas of the uk where the mushroom i've never bought mushrooms or grown them all all my mushrooms have been picked Mm -hmm. um so it's a wonderful resource and um that was a, that took the the journey then got even more interesting going around the uk and um uh, camping out in really beautiful wild areas and you and you pick mushrooms out there and uh take them around a campfire and that you really do commune with um with pachamama um so yeah but back to the 1992 mushroom fever yeah i mean i'd um Two experiences come to mind. On one occasion, I suppose this is quite Philip Dickish. It was like a. It's strange talking about this. It was like um, it was like a light, a lightning bolt from a billion miles away, uh, shot into my head. And I remember, I kind of collapsed, and I was on the floor in a kind of, I don't know, you call it a shamanic ecstasy, but it was a kind of mystical ecstasy. And I, I, the next day, I remember thinking, I wonder if this was some sort of epileptic seizure or something. But it was a really profound experience, and it was like being... I don't know what it was like. It was like being touched by something sacred. Mm-hmm. Um, and another experience is what I, I'd often perceive 
what I, I now call the, I'm writing about it now in a, another book I'm working on. I call it the sacred pattern. I would see this, um, I call it the sacred pattern. It's like a kind of a hieroglyphic pattern that I would see on surfaces. And since that, that was 1992, I first saw that. And I've seen it lots of times since, including out out in the, the Lake District. And um, it's like a, I don't know, I, I call it a sacred pattern. I don't know how else to is describe it, it. But I've seen it again and again. It's not just like a, an optical illusion. It's something that's it's there. There's some kind of... As I say, I'm writing about it now in quite a lot of depth in the, in the new book I'm writing. Um, well, I'll, I'll like look forward to that. To do, I think it's to do with the, in, you know, there's a, an old cliche about the interconnectedness of all things. I think somehow you can perceive that directly. Um, it's almost like a, a pattern, that, a signature of the whole that can be beheld when you're um, through, through psilocybin. And so you're seeing uh, uh, this is intriguing to me because of a, a couple of personal experiences, uh, one in particular where uh, of seeing uh, what I could only label an alien language in seeing right. like uh, like a sort of a, a wall light up with row after row after row of looks something like hieroglyphics but something more bizarre but actually something with some uh it's cohesiveness to it 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 is a language of some sort but uh uh, yeah well i've I've seen it on i've seen it on landscapes as well (laughs) entire landscapes look become hieroglyphical um a lot lots of people it's not just it's not just me it's not just you lots of people uh have experienced that kind of thing on psilocybin. I think that the, the, it's some kind of it's some kind of pattern <laughs> that's n- normally occluded to us. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it's uh, yeah. Well, but also, you say you say it's like a language. I mean, McKenna w- was fond of the notion that the the reality or the universe was made of language. And I do I do explore that notion in the psilocybin solution. Um, so I think. Uh, the, this is what you you access this language like pattern that um is is part of reality yeah yeah and so anyway so you uh, you had the one experience where this sort of like lightning bolt hit you which yes did sound very phil dickian uh, of a, yeah. a beam hitting you and sort of uh, uh bestowing on you certain insights and the other of seeing these strange patterns, this sort of alien language, which are are, are both, uh, to me, very uh, profound. And, yeah, I can see how these would, would set you on, on a further quest to look into this and research this more. There, there's this thing where it's like you can... Um, you can read and read and read about these psychedelic substances, but it's nothing compared to actually experiencing it. You are changed when you do this. Well, that's part of the, that gives them their, um, that's where their power comes from. It's not just, um, it's, <laughs> it's one thing to tell someone, you know, you've, you've, um, you've discovered this amazing thing, but this is something you can hold in your hand and you can consume it. Elsewhere, I've said it's like consuming the truth. Um, it, it reveals so many things, not just about yourself. It's a good psychological tool. It, 
any you take psilocybin and any kind of unfinished business you have, like problems with relationships, problems in your life, they all become revealed, and you you work through. It's very psychotherapeutic. You work, same with ayahuasca. You work through all this unfinished business, and when all when you've worked through all these um, uh, psychological issues, and you're you're kind of become more balanced then and then there's less interference and when there's less interference and your mind is more balanced then you have a it's like perception becomes ultra clear it's like there's and if you with eyes open it's like there's the the distance between you and what you're seeing is, is greatly diminished so you become more connected to the world around you mm-hmm. um there's there's so many dimensions to to the experience but yeah you have to you have to have the experience yourself to to, to someone who's not initiated as it were who knows nothing about it it might it just sounds peculiar you know and that's part of the part of the problem if you get into this subject area is, is people you get sniggers you know people snigger behind your back they think you're a crazy guy yeah and that you're you're not sensible and that people that yeah. do that just uh, become uh, uh kind of drooling idiots or something yeah. but we can see that's obviously not true uh yeah this is out the rabbit hole kuci in irvine robert larson here speaking with simon powell and uh, we're discussing his book the psilocybin solution the role of sacred mushrooms in the quest for meaning and simon is on the phone with us all the way from london which we quite appreciate because we know it is after midnight there now and um, i'd like to take this time also to remind you all that the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regents. And to also uh, let you know that we are not recommending that anybody do anything illegal. If you are interested in any of these types of things, that is your choice and uh, you uh, accept risk, And but we are not a- recommending that anybody break the law uh just putting that out there yeah so um yeah and and let's uh, let's get a little well, more I'd, I'd like to issue a warning too people should stay steer clear of these mushrooms because my mushroom as i've said i've on my website i state quite clearly that after my mushroom after the mushroom fever had subsided somewhat i was left with another condition which i've called chronic biophilia <laughs> and so let that be a warning. If uh, uh, if you get into these mushrooms, there's a danger that you'll not just suffer from a mushroom fever, but chronic biophilia as well. Biophilia is a term coined by um, um, a biologist, E.O. Uh, uh, e. Smith, I think, Edward Smith. Um, and biophilia is, uh, it's, it's this, innate love of nature that we're kind of born with that maybe cities kind of suppress it bio bio biology philia love um and so chronic biophilia is when you when you come to really love nature and then you start well i started to divine a kind of intelligence to nature and i really got into that big time and i've my uh, second book comes out um next year called darwin's unfinished business where i go into this notion of natural intelligence that there's a kind of intelligence to nature and mm. um so that that can happen on psilocybin too chronic biophilia <laughs> so fair warning you may just really uh, fall in love with the biosphere in a strange yeah. and new way and uh, you did you mentioned your website let's give out that web address right now 
Oh, it's impossible to spell. It's the, the com. Don't ask me to spell it. <laughs> oh, I, I've got it right here. It's uh, P.S. The Psilocybin Solution. I mean, what a crazy non-commercial name for a book, The Psilocybin <laughs> Solution. I mean, no, but I don't think anyone can pronounce it, but uh, there you go. Yeah, but it's P.S.I.L.O.C.Y.B.I.N. PsilocybinSolution.com. Yeah. Okay, yeah. and and you also have something up on YouTube that we should mention, a, a short movie? I have sta- I have started about 40 clips up on YouTube. And, uh, including entire yeah, including an entire movie called uh, Manor, which is about a zero budget film I made a long time ago, but that's about psilocybin mushrooms as well. And the concept of natural intelligence. But the the main thing I've got out, the whole of my the, the main thing I've got out of my uh, experiments if we call them experiments is uh, this notion of natural intelligence that we can that we can reinterpret life and evolution and uh, life is actually a kind of technology running on the universe and that nature is intelligently configured and that life is there's an intelligence to um to nature yeah, let's get into that a bit. This, this, is, this is what I think one of the main virtues for me, one of the main virtues of psilocybin is it can allow you to divine this intelligence. And it's not just me, lots of people who've, um, I mean, that's why I think they're considered to be sacred, to be sacred is because they put you, you can feel and sense and commune with this and be overwhelmed by this larger intelligence that's, um, that we're embedded within it, but we don't normally perceive it or feel it because we're busy with other things. Yes, well, so this intelligence that you're saying is inherent in nature, and uh, let's, let's break this down a little bit and get into what exactly you mean. And th- this is a little bit different than what... Uh, Many people are are into this thing of uh, intelligent design or creationism, which is yeah, this no, anti-evolution. Yeah, let, let's let's point that out first. And and what what is it that you mean that that uh, there is an in uh, intelligence to reality that is just there, and that uh, we as conscious beings are just the the sort of like pinnacle of where it's at right now uh, go in, can you go into some detail about that well i mean in, in a nutshell i think someone once said i think it was freeman dyson suggested that the universe was a was deliberate it's an intentional universe is what i'm saying and not, not just me other people have said it as well um and that life and consciousness are functions of the universe the universe is all, it, it's, it has, it's, it's the way it is, the laws are the way they are, the forces of nature are the way they are for a reason. So I think life, life falls into place, the genetic code falls into place, evolution happens because it has to happen. And consciousness, so I think nature is, what I'm saying is, is nature is a naturally intelligent system in terms of the way it's configured. Nature is the intelligence. I'm not saying there's an intelligence outside of nature. I'm saying nature is the intelligence. And consciousness is the way that this intelligence wakes up to itself. Consciousness, I mean 
human consciousness now, uh, is the vehicle through which nature wakes up to itself and knows itself and comes to know its own potential. So it's a kind of a self-knowledge process. That's, that's my current metaphysical um, paradigm, if you like. I mean, it's subject to change. All our ideas are provisional. But I, I quite like that idea, and I think it's got a lot going for it. It's not original. Other people have said the same thing. But that's, what I've, that's the chief thing I've gotten from all my psilocybin experiences, that nature, and I'm quite, I'm, you know, I'm on the radio now saying it. I, <laughs> I, you know, lot, lots of people will laugh and think it's ridiculous and stuff. I, I don't care. Uh, I think nature is an in, it's got an intelligence to it. It might not be a conscious intelligence. It might require, you know, we are the, the consciousness of nature, if you like. Um, but there's definitely, a, you call it an unconscious intelligence, but there's an intelligence in, in terms of the laws of nature and the forces of nature and the creative uh, things that happen in, in the wake of those um, specific laws and specific forces. That's the, the universe is fantastic. I mean, here we are. I mean, this remarkable life. <laughs> mm -hmm. Life and consciousness are absolutely remarkable phenomena. It's a user-friendly universe. Yeah, and it's... And uh, we, are, we are, we are nature as it, as it comes yeah. to know itself. Right. Conscious, consciousness is the leading edge of this. It's almost like the universe or reality or nature is turning in on itself and exploring itself, and consciousness is the, I reckon, is the leading edge of that creative, self-knowing process. And if you take psilocybin, that's the, the leading edge of the leading edge, mm -hmm. <laughs> if you see what I mean. Right, right. It, it, and so it's... Uh, it's very it, exciting. And when you take... The, the, the thing is, is when you take the mushroom and you... you if, <laughs> people will know what I'm on about if they, if they take it and they, they get this kind of experience. But it's, it's almost frightening when you're in that... that, that um, state of consciousness because all this what I'm saying becomes very overwhelmingly clear mm -hmm. there is an intelligence there is a higher intelligence it's a, it's a source of spiritual nourishment it's the source of its it's the source it's from, it's the, from where we from whence we came and when you start to sense it and perceive it you, you, you're moving back towards it mm -hmm. and, and so you're not arguing for any type of uh uh, traditional uh, religious uh, belief system here as much as you're, you're arguing for uh, that there just is an intelligence inherent in nature and that evolution, though it does occur, it, it, there are certain things that have evolved where, that were almost like uh, it, it, it sort of like had to evolve this way, that, that conscious beings, that, that that's what uh, nature does, that it just does evolve conscious beings. Is that, is that correct? Well, I could talk about this for a long time because the traditional, um, it's, it's, it might sound off topic this because it's really about psilocybin, but on the other hand, it's, this is the, what I've got from my psilocybin experiences. Well, traditionally, uh, evolution, if you, if you ask a scientist to define evolution, he'll talk about um, a change in gene frequencies over time. Now, that's ridiculously, that's inadequate. It's the, that there's not, it's not thought that there's uh, a direction in evolution. I've got one of my videos up on YouTube is all, all about the notion that there is a direction in, in evolution. The direction in evolution is, is towards making sense. What life, what 
natural selection does, what gets selected is that which makes sense. So rather than, um, rather than this well-worn notion of the survival of the fittest, it's best to, it's more apt to think of the survival of that which makes sense. Because the universe makes sense because of the laws of nature, the, the specific laws of nature and the specific behavior of um, chemistry and physics and such, life has to learn uh, about the laws of physics and the laws of chemistry. So there is a direction. It's, it's almost like a, a simple analogy or metaphor is that if, if you think of the universe as being like a comprehensible book, um, well, then there's, a, there's only one way of reading the book. Well, maybe there's different ways of reading the book, but the, the, there's an a priori meaning there. So li life has to follow. Life can't just go in any direction. Life evolves in a certain specific direction. What, what makes sense is what gets selected. So the reason you get convergent evolution, for instance, that the eye has evolved 20 times in multiple parts of the tree of life is because eyes make sense. Everything you see in the, the web of life makes sense. The reason it's been selected is because it makes some kind of good sense. Um, so so you, you kind of... things will happen, and there's an, a good argument to be made that not only did life have to happen... But it has to follow a, a certain kind of course. And uh, because consciousness is a sense-making, that's what consciousness, that's what our senses do. We take in information and we make sense of the world around us. Um, the, the evolution of brains and the evolution of um, cortices and the evolution of consciousness, they have to form their specific directions it has to go in. It can't just go in any other direction. So I think life, not only was life inevitable, but consciousness was inevitable too. So you, you kind of reject the notion that, that everything is completely uh, random and, and this weird reality that did emerge, uh, it's... it's uh, some those will say, well, it, it's uh, it, it emerged as opposed to all the others it, it, because, well, all these others maybe do exist somewhere else, but we just happen to be in this one. And, and you're saying, no, well, this is this is the one that was. Well, that's a, that's a cop out. You you know, there's some big problem when they when they in order to explain the fine tuning of this universe, you know, everything. It's quite astonishing, all the, 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 law, the specific laws of nature and the constants and stuff, the fine-tuning that, that's needed, that's required to allow, uh, to allow for the genetic code and the Lego-like building blocks of, of, of nature and um, evolution to the point of consciousness. If, if the only way you can explain all that is to invoke an infinity of universes, then you're, you're in it you're in expletively deep water, aren't you? <laughs> and all it does is passes the buck, because then you've got to explain why are all these multiple universes there. So I think the only universe we know is... In any case, if there are a, mul if there are a multiplicity of universes, that's part of... The, un the universe means everything. So it's still, there's still only one universe. <laughs> right, and, um, right. it, th th those theories just pass the buck. I think it makes much more sense to, to see the fine-tuning of nature as, as indicative that there is an intelligence to the whole thing. Mm. So, uh, this so that, that gets back to this notion that um, consciousness, we are, we are this, this thing, we are this thing waking up to itself.
I mean, that sounds a bit mystical. It's very metaphysical, and uh, but I, I, I've I've been entertaining that idea for quite a while now, and I I think it's going to it's got a lot going for it. Well, you know, I mean, everything in a certain sense, it, it it is true that everything is consciousness because everything that we perceive is through consciousness. So consciousness yeah. is is uh, really <laughs> where it's at. It's, funda- it's fundamental. I was having a I had a two hour conversation the, the other day with a, a philosopher chap, and we just spent two hours talking about consciousness. Out, and it's strange because you know people have said we we just as a fish. Will, will be the last thing to discover water because it's in water all the time. We, 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 it's taken us ages to discover consciousness because we're in it all the time. But when you do start to question consciousness, it's, um, it is a remarkable thing because it's just as real. We, we think of the physical world as, as being the most real, you know, tables and chairs and uh, atoms and molecules and, and such, but that these are all ideas within consciousness. Consciousness is, a, is as objectively real as the seat you're sitting on and the seat I'm sitting on. But yet we can't really measure it. <laughs> no, but the more, but the thing is, is the more we talk about consciousness and it becomes a subject for inquiry, the more it, it, it kind of facilitates um, expanded uh, forms of consciousness i think we need to be talking more about consciousness everything comes down to consciousness mm-hmm. well yeah and, and i think and there's a cri- as krishna murti said there's a crisis in consciousness we do have a crisis in consciousness yeah. no, knowing that there are let's say higher states of consciousness or raised states of consciousness or more vibrant states of consciousness um it's it's incumbent on us really to work out ways of achieving more consciousness the more consciousness the better mm-hmm. right and you, in, my, in my opinion right the metaphor you uh, use with the fish and the process, water we is need real. to start talking about consciousness right so that we and that's not been done before even in science you know behaviorism in the 1940s and 1950s they didn't want to touch consciousness it was like a black box and you know let's just look at um reactions and things uh, consciousness is this, this mysterious thing let's not even go there but again, that's why psilocybin is so powerful, because it, it, it gets to the heart of this mystery. Right. And if, it, you, if you take the mushroom, you'll experience that. Mm-hmm. So we can it be... Touches on, it touches on your essence, what you are, the essential, your essence, um, your spirit, your soul, whatever you want to call it. That's what the mushroom impinges upon. It touches that. And so you, you, it reveals it. Yeah. psychedelic means mind manifesting or soul manifesting so yes yes uh, okay this is out the rabbit hole KUCI in Irvine Robert Larson here and I'm speaking with Simon Powell and uh, we're discussing his book The Psilocybin Solution The Role of Sacred Mushrooms in the Quest for Meaning and uh, Simon one of the things that you go over in the book is the way that the uh, sacred mushroom a, a huge piece of the Aztec civilization was thoroughly pushed underground by the Spanish conquistadors for 400 years, so yeah. much so that the existence of a psychoactive mushroom in North America was considered by Western scholars to be a, a myth until the 1950s. Uh, could you uh, go over that a little bit about how uh, that sort of timeline? I just find this fascinating. 
Well, I think because um, if you go back to the the, the account the, the accounts of the Spanish friars during the, the Spanish conquest, they documented the mushroom use and they, they wrote all these things saying it was the devil's work and all this kind of thing. But up until I think the 1930s or 40s, it was erroneously considered by historians that the, there never was a mushroom and it was just peyote buttons which would have contained um, mescaline. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't until the 1930s or 40s that um, it was Richard Evan Schultes, I think, the um, botanist, famous botanist, who discovered a, the, a species, a, a, pano, a panolius species of mushroom was being used in um, uh, Mexico. And then that didn't uh, get much attention either, and it, it, it wasn't until, the, until Gordon Wasson um, managed to infiltrate a mushroom ceremony in the 50s that it all, this thing exploded. Mm. It's, so it's still quite a young, it's, it, in terms of its its um, role in psilocybin's role in the West, it's still quite a, it's still quite young, and um, the, the story hasn't finished. <laughs> yeah. So there's the the uh, the psychedelic mushroom usage in. Uh, North America, it has by the indigenous people this a long, unbroken usage going back uh, hundreds, if not thousands of years. Thousands, yeah. Yeah, and uh, then it in the 1500s, I think, when the Spanish conquistadors came down upon the the Aztecs and you know kind of threatened them with the full weight of the Inquisition yeah. and everything else that was going on. Then it was just like, okay, let's hide this away. So there were still yeah. these uh, indigenous uh, North American people who were were doing this in secret, but yeah. outsiders were not known, uh, no. were not in on this, and not until Wasson uh, uh, was allowed in in the 1950s were Western scholars had any clue that this was something real and that this psychoactive mushroom was there and had been there all along. And and, and so in that intervening time, uh, Western science knew of the Amanita muscaria uh, psychoactive mushroom, which is a different one. Yeah, and uh, they they knew of some other ones, but didn't know of anything that was in in widespread use in America. No, well, this is the weird thing: is that um, these mushrooms grow everywhere. Um, you know, I, I mentioned when we spoke before a few days ago that um, Aldous Huxley, who took um, took psilocybin on several occasions, um, he his last book, which was a utopian novel called Island. Uh, 1962, I think it was published. Um, his, um, yes, it's this utopian island that these people live on, and, and part of their their spiritual practices revolve around a mushroom, which he called moksha medicine. And I, I think it's been accepted that was based on a psilocybin mushroom. Huxley died in 1963 or 1964 um, without knowing that these mushrooms grow in his in his native land in in the UK. So after Wasson made this discovery of the Mexican psilocybin mushroom, and he had that this famous article in Life magazine, so people would flock all the way to Mexico in the in the 60s. They go all the way to Mexico to to access this mushroom, not knowing that they grew in um, you know all over all over Europe, all over America. It's a it's a, it's a strange thing, really. But I think that's the, 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 their time is now. It's something for the modern era. 
Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's it's like one or on this. It used to be one hundred. There were over a hundred species of psilocybin mushroom. I think it's about two hundred species now. Yeah, they keep finding new species. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're as far Westerners. Yeah, it's just like. Uh, <laughs> Kind of in uh, our infancy, this is only a few decades that this has been uh, what we've been doing. However, you know, the arguments can be made that they were uh, done way back in, in prehistory by yeah. uh, peoples all around the world. But as far as yeah. like Western civilization, this has really been pushed down. And you, you go into in the book as well, uh, something that you got from Wasson and others, the whole idea of the, the, the phobia about mushrooms, which in a certain sense is understandable because some of them are uh, deadly toxic, but there, there's, this also just seems to be this, this fear of where it might uh, take one, especially with the Western history and uh, church and science and the way it's all developed, that this is something that was just uh, not something that wanted to be dealt with. Well, yeah, I mean, look at the... Well, even now, it's not... It, nobody wants to deal with it. <laughs> I mean, it's, science is... You think... You think... This, you think anyone, any scientist interested in consciousness and interested in the relationship between the, the physical brain and the mind, all this kind of thing, I mean, these are fantastic tools for exploring all that, but it's just really... There's very, very little science. But a kudos to those scientists who are doing research. You know the the John Hopkins study from a, f- a few years ago, where they um, gave psilocybin to. Well, that, it, they are doing experiments now, whether they're giving it to, they're using it for in a therapeutic um, context. But the, one of the experiments at the Johns Hopkins, they gave it to, to you know healthy people, and they they these healthy people had a, had mystical experiences. Mm-hmm. So, but there's very few and far between. The amount of experimentation that goes on is is, is very little because of the um, draconian laws ar- around this mushroom. Yeah, and it's we very, it's we very know. Strange. It, it's uh, there's this. There is a, a fear. You know, they're they're so powerful. It's a there's a fear, and it's to do with the. I think it's to do with the unknown. People are afraid of the unknown. They rather turn their backs on it. Right, and I think we'd like to think that we have some sort of handle on on consciousness when we really don't and uh, you know it's uh, rick strassman who we've we've talked about on on the show we had him as a guest and he had to go to so much trouble and i think you mentioned this in your book uh to get his study done with uh dmt which is a molecule uh, fairly closely related to psilocybin and uh you know but he was able to find out some really uh interesting uh information but it what it was quite a bit he had to go through to (laughs) <laughs> to get the government to okay him to go down this path. Well, but yeah, I mean, most other research areas, if they find something interesting, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of experiments, you know. Like, think about, uh, I don't know, superconductivity or something. You get hundreds and hundreds and thousands of experiments and papers written about it. Um, I think psilocybin and DMT and ayahuasca, they're, they're deserving of uh, lots and lots of, you know, research. I think it will, hopefully it will, it will come, you know, you've got the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies now, you've got the Hefter Research Institute, um, there's a, um, uh, an organization in um, the UK as well, the Beckley, Beckley Institute, I think it's called, I can't remember offhand. Um, so, I mean, things are changing slowly, um, 
Mm-hmm. And it may be that <laughs> we get to such a crisis point that there becomes a uh, a desperation among the uh, establishment. Well, we've got to try something different than what we've been doing. <laughs> Maybe. Well, yeah. this, this, it gets back to this crisis in consciousness again. I don't know if you've been following the news, but the you know, there's been rioting in London over the last... Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just absolutely appalling. I watched, um, you know, if people don't in America don't know, there's been looting and shops being smashed and riots and <laughs> buildings set on fire. It's absolutely appalling. And um, I was watching the TV and they had one guy on, um, I think he was a psychologist, he just mentioned the word consciousness and I... It, Although there's there's a million and one theories going around here at the moment about what caused all the London riots, you know, was it deprivation or, you know, corrupt politicians or is it the police? And all there's a million and one theories. But, you know, consciousness is, is in there as well. It's part of the equation. Um, consciousness is not... It's, it's variable. You can have more consciousness or less consciousness, and the more consciousness, the better. And all these all these teachings... I, I mentioned earlier that I, I was into Gurdjieff, well, I am. I was influenced by Gurdjieff and Krishnamurti, and, and people people like Eckhart Tolle, who's very popular at the moment. Um, you know, Buddhism, the concept of mindfulness, all these all these systems of self-knowledge, are, they're all concerned with consciousness, right? With, with increasing consciousness. If consciousness is like light, you can have more light. It, it, and we've got it. We're in a low state of consciousness. It's like we're, we're people are wandering around with the light lights off inside, you know. Um, so I think that's another virtue of psilocybin is it shows what's what's possible that you can once you've tasted higher consciousness, once you know it exists, then you can kind of work to towards it every day, kind of thing. Yeah, it's uh, crucial. Our consciousness—it's—it's um, you know—it's where our value systems are. It's how, it's how we relate to one another, how we relate to the biosphere. It all comes back to consciousness. Okay. Again, uh, the book we're talking about today is the psilocybin solution: the role of sacred mushrooms and the quest for meaning. And uh, we are discussing that with the author Simon Powell. Uh, Simon, we're just about out of time here. He's got like a. I don't know, about a minute before we got to close things out here. Uh, what do you want to leave us with? Oh, what do I want to leave you with? Um, <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to leave you with. All I can say is I was quite happy today because uh, this magazine called Nexus, uh, they printed most of Chapter 1 in the latest issue, and it was in my... Um, in a shop in my high street, which is a, you know... Equivalent to Walmart or something in America, maybe just at the shop that you find on most high streets. Uh, with, with so many mundane, ridiculous magazines, they they have like twenty magazines dedicated to cars and twenty magazines dedicated to uh, celebrities and all this sort of vacuous rubbish. And um, yeah, this Nexus magazine was in there with this stuff about psilocybin. So I thought that's cool. The, the mushrooms influence is is there <laughs> if you look hard enough, you know. <laughs> Yeah, well, you see it popping up, uh, to uh, use a sort of pun, uh, in uh, all kinds of places. And, uh, it, this, go it's, ahead. A spiritual, it's a spiritual resource. It's there. You know, it's not like it's an un- unnatural thing. As I said, all my psilocybin experiences have come from mushrooms picked out in the, in the, in the, in the wilderness. I mean, you know, what could be more natural than going out into the, you know, nature and, and picking this spiritual resource? It doesn't even cost any money. 
and uh, it, it's just it's very if people if people had had the experiences i've i'd love i'd love everyone to i'm not saying everyone should take mushrooms but i i'm what i'm trying to do with my books is convey the um the mystical beauty of of nature that we've 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 we're so disconnected now from uh from the biosphere and the you know so I think it's about 50% of people don't have never seen the, the Milky Way. You go out, uh, there was a statistic in the paper the other day that a third of all children have never climbed a tree, you know. People grow up in cities, they, they, they're not familiar with birdsong, they, they never see streams, you know. We're, we're very disconnected from um, the biosphere, and yet the biosphere is our life support system. And um, one of the virtues of psilocybin is that it can... You know, you had a guy on before who was talking about the... He called them ecodelics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you had a, 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 an interview with a guy. You, instead of psychedelic or entheogen, he talked about ecodelics. Yeah. Um, you can have a, 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 an eco-psychological... You can, you can, can commune with, um, with nature, and that's a very important thing these days. So... I think it's a very psilocybin is a very important natural substance produced by the biosphere and um, used wisely and judiciously. It can uh, bring us back into balance with uh, with the biosphere and maybe we can. It can help to, to us create a sustainable culture for everyone. You know. Okay. Well, I think that's going to have a role. Hopefully, it's got a role to play in all that. Somehow. I think that's a great uh, way to to sum this up. And I'll remind everybody again: it's the uh, psilocybin solution, the role of sacred mushrooms in the quest for meaning. Simon Powell, the author, our guest today, and the website is psilocybinsolution.com. I think most of my uh, listeners know how to spell psilocybin. In <laughs> I don't. I still get it wrong. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> and uh, and y- your music again? They can find that on iTunes. Yeah, I mean, I think my username on iTunes was Cybernetic, but um, if they search for me, yeah, if, if, search search um, YouTube for Natural Intelligence. If you search YouTube for Natural Intelligence, I think all my clips come up. If you if you search for psilocybin, my film used to come up first. So if people are interested, they'll find my stuff. Okay, so you, you're out there, I guess. Uh, Simon Powell. Yeah, the psilocybin solution, the role of sacred mushrooms, and the quest for meaning. Uh, Simon, thanks so much for spending the time with us today and staying up at the, the late hour in London okay. there. <laughs> all right. Oh, was, well, th- thanks for having me on the show. It was great to have you. Take care now. Cheers. Okay, yes, uh, Simon Powell, and yeah, the psilocybin solution, check that out, check out his music, just do a little Google, and there's a bunch of stuff out there that he's done, and uh, I think I'll leave you with a little bit uh, more of his music before we uh, go here today. We've got uh, Matt Kaplan coming up in just a few minutes with... uh, Counterspin and Planetary Radio. I'll remind you once more the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regents. And if you want to give me some feedback on the show, you can email me at rglarson at org. And I am Robert Larson. This is Out the Rabbit Hole, KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, also on the web at org. I'll be talking to you next week.